Good morning, church. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. Uh, once two men got shipwrecked, and after floating around in the ocean for a few days, they washed up on the shore of this deserted island, and uh, the first guy, he was immediately just distraught. He said, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. This is hopeless. We're going to die. And the second guy just crawled over to a palm tree, leaned up against it, and closed his eyes to take a nap. Oh, when the first guy saw the second guy taking a nap, he went ballistic. He said, how in the world could you take a nap at a time like this? You don't understand. We're going to die. The second guy just opened his eyes just long enough to say, no, you don't understand. You see, I make $100,000 a week. The first guy said, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? You can't exactly buy us any food or water out here. What, are we going to float home on your net worth? I don't think so. The second guy said, no, 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 you still don't understand. I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe 10%. My pastor will find me. (laughs) As many of you know, we've been spending the last few weeks together going through this series called Treasure Talk, and we're looking at the ways that Jesus calls us to invest our treasure, the things that he has given us. And some of you in the room right now might be thinking, oh, great, here we go again. I've heard it all before. Church guy's coming after my money. And I get it, I do. Uh, But the reason that we think talking about money is important is that Jesus thought it was important. And we also believe that if God has your wallet, that might be the best indicator that he has your heart. So with that in mind, let's dive into our text for the day. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. It's a long one, but stick with it. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Now a mina was like three months wages, like 10 grand, okay? Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. He answered, Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You you take out what you didn't put in and reap what you didn't sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have at least collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So here's the big idea of what Jesus is saying in this story. You are living 
on loan. You are living on loan. Everything you have and everything you are, you have because the master has loaned it to you. God has given it to you. It all belongs to God. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You are living on loan. Now that means that this morning you woke up, got out of God's bed, brushed God's teeth, used God's coffee maker to make God's coffee, poured God's cereal into God's bowls so that when God's kids got out of bed, breakfast would be ready so you could get them dressed into God's clothes so you could load them up into God's car, drive down God's roads through God's town to get to God's house to be with God's people on God's day. You are living on loan. It all belongs to God. And just like in this parable, the master has entrusted us with his possessions and he then expects us to invest them wisely. That's what we're called to do, living on loan, to invest the things God has given us. Now there's two big principles about living on loan that I think we can learn from this parable. And the first one is this, the king will return. The king will return. Now, the citizens in this story, they don't want this guy to be their king. In fact, they send uh, some people out to protest to make sure that he's not gonna become their king, but he becomes king anyway. And then he comes back to get what's his. And the Bible speaks over and over and over again about the reality that the king will come back to see how we have invested his stuff. Jesus is coming back. Just a few examples here from scripture. Luke chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, you must also be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Acts chapter one, right after, this is right after Jesus rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. The disciples are just kind of standing there with their mouths open and then two angels appear in heaven and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Paul is writing to the church and he says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then just one chapter later in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, he writes to remind us uh, that nobody knows when this is actually gonna happen. Now, brothers and sisters, he says, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus is coming back. The king will return, perhaps today. It could be any time. That's why we've got the timer up on the screen for you to look at today as a reminder that the clock is ticking. Jesus is coming back. Some of you might've been scared thinking I'm still gonna preach for another two hours and 56 minutes. (laughs) Be good, I might. (laughs) The king is coming back. Jesus will return. Have you ever thought about what you wanna be doing when Jesus comes back? It's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? I I love to be baptizing somebody when Jesus comes back. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, whoa! He's gonna fly up into heaven, you know? I I think it'd be cool to be praying when Jesus comes back. Dear Jesus. Yes. (laughs) How cool would that be, right? No matter what you're doing, Jesus will come back. Make no mistake of that. And yet most people on earth still live as if this life is all there is, as if this life on earth is gonna go on forever. 
You could just ask the citizens of Hawaii, though, because last year they got a pretty rude awakening to remind them that this life does not go on forever. Perhaps you you saw this in the news. It was July of last year, 2017, at 8 a.m. on a balmy Saturday morning, an employee of the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency accidentally clicked the wrong button on his computer and sent out a warning of impending nuclear doom to millions of people across the state. Now let's pause right there. How can it be that easy for one guy with one computer to click one button and send out a warning of nuclear doom to millions of people? It takes a master's degree just to get my kid out of his car seat, all right? It should be more complicated than that. And yet it happened. And the alert, it said this. It said, in all capital letters, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. That's one way to wake up on a Saturday morning. (laughs) And as those words, they flashed across the screens of cell phones and televisions all over the state and people scrambled for their lives. They huddled with their loved ones. They sought shelter anywhere they could find it. One guy opened a manhole cover and shoved his kid down inside to try to protect him. Some people just stayed out on the golf course or kept drinking their coffee. But last year, for 38 minutes that day, the people of Hawaii lived in the knowledge of the reality that their lives could end at any moment. Obviously, that's a scary morning. And that was just from a false alarm. But the fact of the matter is that we should all be living in that reality all the time. We should have an alert on our phones in all capital letters saying, Returning King Alert. God, inbound to earth, seek immediate salvation. This is not a drill. Because the king will return. And that's no false alarm. And it could be today. It could happen before I finish my sermon. And some of you really like the sound of that idea. (laughs) But the king will return. Make no mistake about that. That's the first thing. Second thing we can learn from this parable is this. The king will judge our investments. The king will judge our investments. There will be a reckoning. Just like in this parable, when the king came back, the first thing he did was round everybody up and take inventory. And those who failed to invest well had their treasure taken away. And those who rebelled against the reign of the king were killed. Now you see, folks, we need to talk about this not because it's fun, but because it's true. Judgment day will come when the the king returns for both the Christian and the non-Christian. But judgment day will look very different for those who are servants of the king and those who are not. For those of us who are servants of the king, for those of us who are Christians, on judgment day, we will not be judged for our sins. Our eternity is not at stake. When you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you accepted his payment on the cross for your sins. So when judgment day comes, you're not at risk of losing heaven, all right? You're in. You're not gonna be judged for your sins, but we will be judged for our works. In other words, we will still face a final determination about whether or not we have wasted our life, whether or not you have invested well what the king has loaned you. You're not gonna be judged for your sins, you're in, but the Bible does teach pretty clearly that there are different levels of reward in heaven, and that's what will be determined for the Christian on judgment day. Uh, take a look at just a couple verses here. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear, all of us, before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus himself says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. So that's what it'll look like for the Christian. But for the non-Christian, for the people who reject the reign of King Jesus, Judgment Day is a day where they are sent to an eternal destiny of pain and anguish apart from God. Revelation chapter 20 says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. One author says that five minutes after you die, you'll know exactly how you should have lived. Uh, Many years ago, there was a man who got to catch a sneak peek of how his life would be assessed, and it nearly broke him. It was the year 1888, and Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist, and he'd done well for himself. He'd made a fortune inventing and producing dynamite. But then tragedy struck. His brother Ludwig died in France, but you see, that wasn't the only reason that Alfred Nobel was distraught. Alfred had just gotten done reading the obituary in a French newspaper, except it wasn't Ludwig's obituary. It was his. An editor had gotten the brothers confused and had written the wrong obituary. He wrote an obituary for Alfred Nobel. And as Alfred read his own obituary, he noticed that the headline read, Merchant of Death is Dead. And as he continued to read, Alfred saw that his obituary described a man who was responsible for the deaths of countless people, a man who had gotten rich and made his fortune by helping people kill each other. And that assessment of his life shook Alfred Nobel to his core. So he decided to use his riches to change his legacy. And by the time Alfred Nobel really did die, eight years later, he had left more than $9 million to award people whose life's work benefited humanity in outstanding ways. And the award that Alfred funded became known as the Nobel Prize. You see, Alfred Nobel was given a rare opportunity to look at the assessment of his life and still have a chance to change it before it was too late. And he made sure that he invested in something worthwhile. So when the king returns to judge your investment, what will he say? Because I know what I want him to say to me. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all want, right? So how do we do that? One simple way. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. One time there was a man who died and went to heaven. He met St. Peter at the pearly gates and St. Pete started showing him around heaven, you know, walking down the street of gold. And they walked past gorgeous estates and these huge, giant, fancy mansions until finally they come to the end of the street and they stop in front of this rundown little shack and St. Peter says, well, here you go, welcome home. The guy, is, he's, he's angry. He says, well, what in the world? How come everybody else gets to live in these giant mansions and I'm stuck in this little dump? St. Peter says, well, I'm sorry, We did the best we could with the money that you sent us. (laughs) And now now I don't think that's exactly how it's gonna work, all right? But you get the point. Invest in eternity. 
I, I met with my financial advisor earlier this week because I wanna make sure that my life savings are being put to work. I wanna make sure all $4 of it is being invested really well. <laughs> you may have noticed uh, recently that the Mega Millions lottery got up to $1.5 billion. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Now, if you bought a lottery ticket, the odds of you winning that thing were one in 302 million. Those aren't very good odds. <laughs> in fact, I, I looked it up. You are literally more likely to either be elected president of the United States or to be canonized as a saint by the Catholic Church than you are to win that lottery. <laughs> and yet some of you bought a lottery ticket anyway. Why? Because it's a low-risk investment with a really high reward even though the odds are terrible. But what if I told you this morning that I have an even lower risk investment with an even higher reward and the odds are guaranteed? You'd be a fool not to take it, right? Look at what the Bible says about investing in eternity. First Timothy chapter six says, command those who are rich in this present world, that's all of us, by the way, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, invest in eternity. You are living on loan. So don't just take what the master has loaned you and keep it for yourself. You might remember from the parable that the master didn't like it very much when the servant did that. Here's what I mean. Um, let me use this illustration. I didn't come up with this, by the way. I stole this illustration from Francis Chan. I'm not this clever. This rope here represents eternity. It just goes on and on and on and on and on and on forever. Actually, it ends at the end of the stage, but bear with me, okay? This rope represents eternity. And this little red part right here at the end, this represents your life here on earth. Pretty short, isn't it? In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to remind us just how short our lives really are. To remind us that we don't last very long here on earth. Psalm 39 verse four says, show me Lord my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. James 4.14 says, why, you don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, the clock is ticking. Our, our lives here on earth are really, really short. And eternity is really, really long. And yet most people still manage their lives and their resources and their money thinking, all right, I got to work really, really hard here so that I can save, 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 and then really enjoy this part right here. And most people spend their lives and they manage their money with their bills at the front of their minds or their bank accounts in the front of their minds or their retirement accounts in the front of their minds or their hopes and dreams in the front of their minds. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are even good things. I'm just saying that they shouldn't be the first thing. I'm saying that if we really believe that how we live in this life will affect how we live in that life, then it's high time that we bring eternity to the forefront of our finances. 
The Bible talks over and over again about how in order to properly understand this, you have to understand this. Uh, take a look. Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And Jesus, he also talks about investing in eternity. In Matthew chapter six, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, the world around us, they, they can't see past this little red section right here. The world around us lives like, well, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And they may see the way that we as Christians spend our resources and use our money, and they may think, whoa, you guys are being ridiculous. Don't you understand that that will affect all of this? But we can see the bigger picture. And we can say, whoa, 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 actually, actually you're being ridiculous. Don't you understand that that will affect all of this? The missionary Jim Elliott said it so well. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, invest in eternity. And the simplest way to do it is just to start giving. If you don't give here regularly yet, I'd encourage you to start. Doesn't have to be 10%. Just start with something. Start with something. Give something. Uh, 10% is kind of what the Bible describes as a good benchmark, a good starting line for giving. Um, so maybe if you're going to sit down this New Year's and reevaluate your budget, you could take a leap of faith. You could invest in eternity and say, all right, for this one year, we're just going to give it a shot. We're going to invest 10% of our income. We're going to give it. And you can take my word for it. You can take God's word for it. I promise you he'll provide for you. Uh, maybe you're already giving 10%. If that's you, great, more power to you. Give more. Give more. Give till it hurts. Give till it stretches you a little bit. Because when you feel it hurt, when you feel it stretch you, that's how you know it's working. That's how you know that God is taking your mind and he's taking your heart and he's reorienting your priorities. And, and, and instead of making them earthly, he's making them heavenly. He's reorienting your focus towards eternity. That's how you know it's working. I actually, uh, I mean, maybe if you're like me, um, if you don't carry cash, that's totally fine. You can still give here. You can give online totally securely on, at mypcc.info right now. You can even set up an online automatic recurring payment. You don't even have to remember it. It's great. I actually did some number crunching in, in preparing for this sermon, and I found that if every household in our church family tithed, if they just gave 10% of their income right off the top, we would have an extra $6.2 million every year. Imagine what God could do with that. You could build 310 church buildings in India with that money. You could sponsor 13,000 kids for a whole year with that money. You see, but even in this story, Jesus, he's not just after 10%. Because the master, he actually wants you to invest all of it. He wants you to give everything you have. He's calling you to invest everything that the king has loaned you. Invest your talents, invest your passion, invest your relationships, invest your home, invest your money, invest your kids, invest your marriage, invest your time, invest everything that you have, every dollar you ever earn, every minute of every day, every ounce of energy in your body, invest it in eternity. 
Maybe, really practically for you this year, that means you could buy some extra Christmas presents for a family in need and bring them to the Christmas shop. Maybe that means you could go through your attic and your basement and your closets and your storage unit and you can purge that junk that you never use anyway. Give it to somebody who will or sell it and donate the money. Maybe that means this year that you have the courage to actually tell somebody what you believe about Christmas, that Christmas is because Jesus came to save us. Whatever it is, everything you have, your time, your talents, and yes, your treasure, Jesus is calling us to invest it in eternity. Because that's what Jesus did for us, right? He invested in our eternity. Just a few days after Jesus was telling this story, many of the people that he was with would turn on him. They would oppose the reign of this king. They would kill him. But we know the end of the story. He rose from the dead, and he became king anyway, and he came back. And he offered them the opportunity to follow him. And that's still the opportunity that is available for us today. The king will return, and he will judge our investments. And the best way for you to invest your life is in following King Jesus. So if you haven't done that, I'm gonna be up at the front the rest of the service. We'd love to talk with you. Shoot us an email, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, don't waste your life. You know, we we have a really practical way in the spirit of investing in eternity that we want you uh, to do that. This week, we went out and we bought $10,000 worth of gift cards. And uh, we're gonna give them to you guys. We're gonna do that. We're gonna invest in eternity. Right now, we have $2,500 gift cards over there at the back of the room. Chuck Mustin is sitting at a table back there. He's our executive minister. He's wearing all black because Michigan lost this weekend, so be nice to him. (laughs) What we want you to do is pray right now. And if you feel that God could use that gift card to bless somebody that you know, go get one. We're gonna trust you with them. Now, they're not for you to blow on yourself, okay? It's not a shopping spree. If I see you at Meyer buying surround sound after this, we're gonna have a talk, all right? They're for you to bless, use to bless somebody that you know, to help someone in need, to invest in somebody less fortunate, to love somebody lavishly and generously in the same way that Jesus has loved us. Maybe you know somebody who's down on their luck. Maybe you know somebody who's lonely. Maybe you don't know how you're gonna use it yet. That's totally fine. You can take one anyway and, and just keep it. Pray over it for the next few days. Ask God to help you know when and how to use it and he'll show you. But imagine if Hendricks County became this community that because of the church, because of the church, nobody was hungry and every kid had a warm winter coat and every family had a hot meal and every parent had something to bring home to their kids for Christmas and every lonely person had a home they knew they were welcomed in and a seat at somebody's table. Because when we invest our resources in stuff like that, stuff that Jesus cares about, that's investing in eternity. So if you feel that God could use you and that he could use that hundred bucks to make a difference in somebody's life, then go get a gift card. Throughout the end of the service or after the service, go get one and pray that God would show you how to use it. And pray also that he would give you the courage to tell the person you're using it for why you're doing it. Because you believe that the king will return and that eternity is real and that Jesus wants everybody to spend eternity in heaven with him. And so do we. Will you pray with me? King Jesus, you have been so generous to us. You've given us so much. We have way more than we need. Thank you. And yet we know that you're loaning it to us. And so I pray, God, for me in my own life, my own money, 
and for everybody here that you'd show us how to invest it well, how to use it to build your kingdom, how to use it to love the people that you love. We know that it's alone and, and, and we want to be confident on the day you return. And Father, I pray a specific prayer for these gift cards right now in the back of the room and I pray that you'd use them this week, um, that you'd stir in the hearts of the people here right now um, who you want to have one and that they'd have the courage to go get one. Just take that leap of faith. I pray that you would help us, God, to live with an open hand because I know my own tendency that I, I wanna hold on to the things I have I want to hold on to my stuff because it gives me some illusion of status or safety. But I pray, Father, that you'd help us to surrender and to trust you and to live generous lives because you've been so generous to us. Thank you for giving Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.